Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Talk Sports Game Day podcast with me, Sam Matterface. Talk Sports, Alex Crook and the former Chelsea and Benfica fullback, Scott Minto. Uh, we'll have reaction to last night's uh, dull as ditchwater Europa League final. Or if you like football, I mean, if you like fighting and like yellow cards and bad penalties, all that kind of stuff, it's the game for you. Uh, but we have got build up to a massive FA Cup final. Manchester United taking on Manchester City and all Manchester derby for the first time ever in an FA Cup final. Uh, we'll look to Harry Kane as well as he looks set to stay at Spurs. Shock for another season. But their search for a manager lingers on. Where next for Declan Rice? Could he really be going to Bayern Munich? Mason Mount looks set to go to Manchester United as Poch begins his Chelsea clear-out. We'll get into it on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Watch your crookie. Good morning. Hello, how are you? Good morning. Yeah, I'm okay. Apart from having to sit through that awful football match last night, I felt guilty for my two sons, actually, because I said, come on, let's watch the Europa League final. We're on holiday in Portugal. And to be fair, they just about sat through the whole thing, but it was dismal, wasn't it? Utterly turgid. Uh, Has he mentioned that he's away in Portugal on holiday yet? How long did that take? Scott, did you have 32 seconds? (laughs) (laughs) I actually wanted to mention your haircut, Sam, looking very good, looking very slick. And of but you have to say, being in Portugal trumps all that. Yeah, there's nothing slick about it. Basically, what happened was is that after growing my hair uh, for about a year and a half, I uh, I walked in on Monday night after the League One playoff final, and uh, Mrs. Matterface turned around to me and said, um, "It's got to go. It looks awful." I've been telling um, you that so for weeks. This morning, I went to the barbers and had it all chopped <laughs> off. Yeah, but I, I, listen, I take style tips off her, not you, funnily <laughs> enough. Um, talking of style tips, someone could have given Jose Mourinho some style tips last night because it was classless, wasn't it? Waiting in the car park for the officials afterwards, calling them an effing disgrace, uh, approaching the minibus afterwards as well. It was a drab final anyway. He played his part in that with his anti-football tactics. But let's be completely clear, there's absolutely no excuse for attacking the officials in the car park like that after a game. Well, look, I, I, first of all, I want to say I thought the best performance on the pitch was from Anthony Taylor. I mean, it was I thought he was excellent pretty much every, in every way, making every decision right. I think there might have been one yellow card that, that could have turned into a red that I would have given. Like, I was working on it for Talk Sport with, with Jim Proudfoot and, you know, he was counting up the minutes. It was 120 minutes plus another, I think it was over 25 in the injury time over the game. And... Look, I mean, Roma started well and they started positively because Dybala started, you know, the game. But then once Sevilla came back into it, Roma just, oh, it was an extra time. My goodness me. Uh, don't mean, I know there's a lot of pressure in a game like that, but 
that was one of the worst finals I've seen for a very long time. Can I ask you a question about um, what you expect from the other finals that are upcoming? The Conference League final with West Ham United, the, the, the Champions League final. Are we going to see a similar sort of pattern of the, the caginess and the turgidness of these finals? Is this setting the tone for the European final season, Crook? Um, potentially. What, what, what I can say with some conviction is that, again, I think it was a, a great illustration of why, for me, extra time is a waste of time now. Just get rid of it. Just go straight to penalties. I know we had that moment at Wembley at the weekend when Sheffield Wednesday managed to score a winner in extra time. But largely, look at all those playoff finals. Again, the extra 30 minutes was, was not necessary. You had two teams who were just playing safety-first football and you know not wanting to make a mistake and inevitably clinging on for penalties. And yeah, I could see the West Ham game being quite similar. I think Manchester City will be more expansive. Um, but yeah, certainly for me, extra time should be Biff now. But Inter won't be, will they? I mean, they'll be they'll be sitting in and trying to uh, stop Manchester City from playing, won't they? Yeah, they will. Um, I, I guess I don't know. I was going to say from a neutral perspective, maybe an early Man City goal would be the best thing, but it probably wouldn't because then they'll go and and win quite comfortably. So yeah, I see your point on that, but I think Man City will have too much in, in ninety minutes. Can I just say on the on the extra time thing? I'm actually not for scrapping it. I, I, I think there would be a danger of you get to 60 minutes and teams will start doing that. So that 30 minutes that we saw in extra time would actually happen the last 30 minutes of the 90 minutes. At least but the evidence we, for that got... is not there, is it, actually? The evidence is to the contrary, right? Because we've got this situation, the uh, League Cup in this country, and it has made the League Cup games, especially in the early rounds, absolutely fabulous viewing. It's been a terrific advert for the tournament it's given that it's given the league cup a massive great big lift i think but they've they've done that really to try and keep themselves relevant and 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 it all finished by the end of february i know the efl and it was very clever and and a few things they did so that people saying yeah we can still keep it I, i know what you mean but i think it's different because quite often in the early rounds of the caribou cup you've got the big boys who are playing kids and so it's a bit of a leveler in that sense anyway. Here, you've got an absolutely massively important game, a season-defining game, where everyone's going to be absolutely at it and, and more scared about losing. Whereas with respect to the Carabao Cup in the third round, teams aren't that bothered about losing. So I think there's a different mindset there. OK, interesting. Talking of mindsets, um, obviously... Mourinho losing in the first European final that he's ever lost, acting appallingly afterwards. And this comes from a guy who, um, let's be honest, I think the guy's brilliant and I've been hero-worshipping him for 20 years. But, you know, he, he, he didn't conduct himself at all well last night. A quick word on what he said afterwards, though, uh, Alex, which may well alert some other clubs to his availability. He said, I want to stay at Roma, but my players deserve more. I also deserve more. I'm really tired to be the manager, head of communications, face of the club going to stay. Uh, we've been robbed. I want to stay, but with right conditions to give my best. Um, what do we make of that? Is that basically a big sort of advert taken out on the front page of every single newspaper? Come and get me. Yeah, I think it's a come and get me plea to Paris Saint-Germain, isn't it? Which seems to be his most likely destination, but good luck to them because um, you know, you know I, I've been a big critic of critic of Jose Mourinho for some time. I know that he's a serial winner. Uh, I expected Roma to win the game last night just because of his unbeaten record in continental finals. But once again, it underlined that his his tactics are negative, his theatrics on the touchline, and as you say in the car park afterwards, are unnecessary. Would I want him at my club? Absolutely no chance. Would I want him back in the Premier League? Again, probably not. 
Oh, I'd love him back in the Premier League. He's box office entertainment. He gives us a line every single week. Anyway, talking about negative tactics and trying to stop another team from playing, I suppose that's the best idea that Manchester United could hope for this weekend, isn't it, Crook? Should we get into it? It's time for Manchester City against Manchester United. They've already picked up one major trophy this season, Manchester City. Are they going to pick up another two and start at Wembley this weekend? anyone ever tell me that the FA Cup isn't special. And Lindelof to win it for Manchester United, smashes it into the top corner and wins the penalty shootout for Manchester United. There is nothing ever certain in the FA Cup. They'll be looking to absolutely ruin that final, make it scrappy, make it a bit of a fight. And City will be the opposite, they'll be trying to dazzle everyone. These players will give everything to beat Manchester City next week. The blue moon is on the rise. They believe this is their year to win the lot. You couldn't bet against them. You know, to have one side red, one side blue here at Wembley, that's going to be special. The FA Cup, the original and the best. What do you reckon, Crook? Is that the, is that the way to approach it? As Scott Minto would say, you're a bad lad opening this section <laughs> with that comment and trying to get me to, uh, to go down that road. <sighs> Um, listen, United beat City at Old Trafford. Uh, it wasn't particularly negative anti-football on that afternoon. I, I would acknowledge that City are a better team now uh, than they were then. But listen, it's probably hard talk, talking overhead, but I, I was roused by Eric Ten Hag's address on the pitch last weekend. Were you? I'm were taking you? a little what, bit what of confidence. That, why did you like it so much? Tell me what it was that inspired you so much. I just think his passion came through his determination. I, I, th- I think he's got a bit of, uh, I think he's got a bit more character and charisma than maybe we give him credit for. Obviously, we, you know, we, we saw him with his guard down, if you like, in the director's box at, at Barcelona, having a couple of beers and, and mingling with supporters. I, I think he's been a brilliant custodian for Manchester United this year, and uh, I think he'll be determined to go out with. Two trophies. Obviously, you know, they're facing a juggernaut in Manchester City. But, and again, you, you're going to say you're clutching at straws here. City didn't end the season well. He was resting players, Pep Guardiola. They lost to Brentford. Only got a draw at Brighton. So maybe, maybe they might not be fully sharp. Maybe. Um, it's interesting. Draws, clutching. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting what just uh, just just one beer can do uh, to the change of perception, isn't it? Um, that night against Barcelona, man, we, I, I had to beg him to come with me to that game, right? I had to force him to try and find a ticket for that second leg against Barcelona because he said to me, why would I... I even tried to get him to spend 400 quid on a ticket because I said to him, this could be a defining night in Manchester United's history. They're going to beat Barcelona. He goes, no, we're going to lose. We're going to lose. I'm not coming all that way for us to lose. Anyway, eventually he, because he got a freebie, uh, ended up coming to the game. Um, and he uh, <laughs> afterwards we went into the director's box. And Eric came in, had a beer with everyone, was sort of very jovial around the place, made himself very accessible. And because of that, all of a sudden, 
Crook felt emboldened to go over and have a selfie with him. Since that uh, that exchange, uh, we've now become he he has we've seen we've seen Crook go from sort of like sort of, you know admiration but nothing more than that to full on hero worshipping uh, for the LBG <laughs> as he likes to call him the little boy genius. Um, so it is amazing what just a little bit of personal touch can can do to your uh, to your psyche, Scott. Yeah, and I've heard um, Eric Ten Hag has got a restraining order out on Crookie now as well because he keeps him <laughs> hanging around. Some big yards. restraining order that. Absolutely, and and was that the ticket that Dean Holden, the Charlton manager, got got for yeah. him? Um, yeah, of course he was. He wasn't going to pay for one. That's so. That's so hard. <laughs> so well, it's not harsh. Is any of it untrue? What I wasn't going to do was pay dramatically inflated prices via a ticket out. Morally, that right. didn't feel so, right. So let's just so get give the context. Us a, give us, give us the actual answer. Is anything that we've said untrue? If I could have bought a ticket at face value, no. I'd have been there. <laughs> no, he's the not answer. even. He's not. Sam, he's not even denied the restraining order. I know. <laughs> I know. Crazy, isn't it? Um, talking of restraining orders, who's going to restrain Erling Haaland this weekend, Scott? Oh, do you know what? I don't know. I mean, like, I was at Old Trafford um, for the Chelsea game, and and the scoreline looks great, and the stats look great. I'm telling you now, in that first half, if United play like that. They're, they're losing it by half time because they were so open. And if Chelsea had a finish in their ranks, if Frank Lampard was playing, he would have got a hat trick. Mm. So it's, it's for me, it's interesting to see. Um, I mean, I, he obviously made changes for, for the Fulham game, and, and I'm pleased for him and United because United are a massive club. You want to see them back towards it and finishing third, Champions League, great. But look, this is a game up against us, as, as you know, we, we sort of know the best team in the world. I mean, it'd be interesting to see because sometimes that little bit of momentum that Crookie's clutching those draws for, a draw and a, and a, and a defeat, you know, sometimes, they, again, we talk about a tap. I did the Roma game last night. They were 1-0 up, sit back, and then when it went to 1-1, they couldn't turn it back on again. But this is Manchester City. They, they, they know how to win big games. And I think team selection is going to be very important going forward for United because there's no way they're keeping a clean sheet against them. But I do think this will be the hardest game out of the two. Um, you know, for City, Inter and, and United. United be absolutely desperate not just to win a second tro major trophy themselves, but obviously stop the treble. So I, I think it's going to be a tight game in the beginning, but I do see City to come out on top. Um, Manchester City obviously have got two games back-to-back -back that are quite significant. The FA Cup final followed very quickly by the what could be treble-clinching Champions League final. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Anything can happen in a final. Uh, but... Um, they're obviously big favourites to complete that journey. When Manchester United won the treble back in 1999, they made five changes from the Saturday against Newcastle to the Wednesday night against Bayern Munich. Now, some of that was enforced. Two of them, Scholes and Keane, were um, suspended for the, the next game. But because of the proximity of the Champions League final, they had to freshen up the, the lineup. They don't have to do that this time. Are you expecting the same team on both Saturdays, Crook? Uh, yeah, I'd have thought so. Um, I, th I think one of the strengths for City this season has been the fact that they haven't had as big a squad as in previous campaigns and therefore you pretty much know what the starting eleven is. I think it's going to be interesting. Probably the one selection dilemma is how do you get Phil Foden into that first eleven? because over the course of the season he's not been uh, necessarily, certainly since his return from surgery, uh, a starter. But yeah, I think he'll go with his strongest team. I think the circumstances are very different. United could afford to to weaken the team against Newcastle. It wasn't a great Newcastle side. United were heavy favourites back in 99. City are favourites, but I don't think they're heavy favourites. And I don't think Guardiola will take any chances. 
Interesting, though, on the subject of Manchester City and picking their first team, and you mentioned Foden, actually, I think the biggest call is over whether or not Nathan Ake is 100% fit to start this game because he's been so important to them, yet he's only really played well, whatever he played against Brentford. How, how long did he play against Brentford before he was substituted? Um, since May the 6th. And obviously... They're trying to get minutes under his belt because they believe him to be key, Scott. As a left-sided defender who's played in an FA Cup final, you know what it's like to play these sort of, of, of matches. He will be desperate to be involved in both these games, won't he? Because uh, he has been a significant part of, of their abilities to keep the ball out of the net in the second half of the season. Absolutely, mate. And just looking here, he played 63 minutes. So I, I do think they you know, thought, OK, well, let's ease him in there. Yeah. And he's been... If, if there's a most improved player in, in senior level, he would win that for Manchester City, wouldn't he, this season? Because he has become so important to them. What I would say is I think Akanji's come in and done a really good job in that position. So if he's not 100% fit, okay, and I, I didn't see the game against Brentford if he, if he wasn't at it, can't afford to have any passengers. This is Manchester United who will be up for it. It will be back-to-back -back games, best 11, best 11, simple as that, however Pep sees it. And as important as Ake has been, and he really has been, he was the first one to keep Bukayo Saka quiet um, early on in the season. If he's if he wasn't at it in that game, I wouldn't have a problem with playing Akanji in that role. I really wouldn't. Yeah. Um, and it's been impressive, hasn't it, over the course of the season, the way he's sort of adapted and come to the fore. He's played more games in the Premier League this season than he had in the previous two seasons with Manchester City combined, Ake. But just his whole sort of physical appearance, his, his reading of the game, his one-on-one -on -one defending has been excellent and he's obviously a very good footballer. Sam, you're taller than him though, aren't you? Yeah, I am. It's scary. It's scary, but it's true, which makes me think I've missed my calling in life. I could have played as a centre-half <laughs> in the Pep Guardiola team. I could have been Javier Mascherano. Um, <laughs> um, other areas of the field which uh, also need to mention, I think also another player in that sort of area of the field that needs to mention is Ruben Diaz. I was going through his statistics uh, earlier in the week for another piece that I'm doing. Is, you know, he hasn't lost a game <laughs> in his last 28 appearances. It's absolutely outstanding. If you look at the way that he has transformed Manchester City's defence since stepping back in after the World Cup. I mean, he is absolutely unbelievable. He's a brilliant organiser, brilliant reader of the game. He's just a proper defender. Um, and obviously, they haven't conceded a goal in the FA Cup so far this season, um, Manchester City, which is, which is something that Manchester United have got to try and pierce. And without an out-and-out -out striker, because it doesn't look like Martial's going to be fit for the game, Crook, how are they going to sure. do it? Will Anthony be back for this? Uh, yes, I think he probably will. Um, there were pictures circulating on social media yesterday of him smiling away in his cup final suit, so that suggests yeah. to me that he'll be okay. I don't <laughs> want to be too hard on Anthony Martial, but I do wonder how hard he tries to get fit because he misses so many games. You know, this is the FA Cup final. It's the last game of the season. Hopefully it's his last game in a Manchester United shirt because that transfer just hasn't worked out. And, you know, Ten Hag has been a big promoter of Anthony Martial. He said publicly, we're a better team with Martial in it. Trouble is, he just doesn't stay fit for long enough to be in it. So, you know, a lot of pressure once again on, on Marcus Rashford and those wide players. Anthony, the subject of a lot of grief from TalkSports, Gabby Bon Lahore and Simon Jordan this week. Do you want to defend him? I'll, I'll defend him a bit. You know, I, I think he won't, he won't be the first player to, to come to English football and, and maybe not adapt straight away. But I think his numbers are not terrible. You know, he's come up with some goals. He's come up with some assists. He got that all-important goal in the game that we've been talking about against Barcelona, which was voted United's goal of the season at their award ceremony this week. 
there is a player there. He's very one-footed and he needs to work on that because, you know, it makes it easier to defend against him. You sort of know he's going to cut inside and try and curl one into the top corner. But I think he'll be better next year. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to hang him out to dry as those guys have just yet. There's nothing wrong with being one-footed, is there, Scott? Not at all, mate. It's better to be one-footed than no-footed. <laughs> I think it's worth comparing, actually. You know, you mentioned about coming into uh, into the, into the Premier League from foreign soil. I've got to be honest. Jack Grealish went to a massive club last year and didn't settle immediately. I'm not suggesting for one minute he's the same as Jack Grealish, but what I'm saying is, is that if you were... If, if, if you come to a big club and you've got a new environment and you settle in and it takes you a little while, it's understandable, right? You know, Anthony's got eight goals and three assists this season, four goals and two in the in the Premier League this campaign. Jack Grealish has only got five goals and seven assists in the Premier League this season. He's not significantly better, is it? Let's be honest. And he's in his second season after a big £100 million move. I'm just talking about bare numbers there. I think Jack Grealish's overall contribution to the way that, Ma- that Manchester City play has improved significantly over the course of this this campaign. I think he made a difference when he came off the bench in the Manchester derby at Old Trafford, Scott. But ultimately, I think judging Anthony on what's happened in the first nine months of his time in this country, bearing in mind there was a World Cup in between as well, might be a little bit premature, mightn't it? Yeah, look, I mean, you can also look at Jaden Sancho, can't you? And, and he's an Englishman um, who's gone abroad and come back and has, has struggled really to to get back to or justify the price tag. Listen, when you're bought for, what was it, 80, 90 million pounds, you're expected to hit the ground running. And if you're not, people are going to run after you. And people don't really understand what it's like to move to a different country. Look, I, I've done it. Um, and and, and I, I have to say, I absolutely loved it. But the pressure now of playing for Manchester United, coming into the Premier League, you've got to be absolutely at it. I, I'm like Crookie. I mean, I think Crookie's you know, pretty balanced in that, really, that the numbers are... Decent without being great. The performances, I don't think, have been quite good enough. Um, but it is difficult to come into that first season. So next season is a big season for him. And Eric Ten Hag knows what he's like. He knows his qualities. So, you know, I, I think, he, what was it, a little ball genius? You know, you believe in him, Crookie, don't you? So, you know, give him another season. And if he's not at it, Anthony, next season, then I think you can say, well, yeah, it's, it's not happened. You can't have two bad seasons at a club like United. Let's talk Harry Maguire. Um, has he played his final match for the club or is this going to be it, Crook? Well, he won't start. Um, that, that, that's pretty certain. Um, has he played his last match? Ten Hag's comments when asked about this by Henry Winter this week were quite interesting, weren't they? Because he, he basically said, we're not pushing him out the door. The player's got a decision to make. But they need to recoup some money, Manchester United. That's why the possibility of Fred going to Fulham, uh, I think, is a very realistic one this summer because there aren't that many players that they can sell and, and bring in decent revenue to rebuild the squad. They're not going to get back from Maguire anywhere near what they shelled out. And I think that could be a problem. You know, they're still going to want significant bids coming in before they'll let him go because the defensive lineup isn't that deep. It only takes an injury or two and all of a sudden Maguire might be pressed back into action. So yeah, I wouldn't say with certainty it's his last game. I think it should be. I think it's best for all concerned if he does move on. And by the way, I've been told from a decent source over the last couple of weeks that if he does leave, it might not be to the Premier League. Apparently, he might fancy a move to Italy and go, go and do what Chris Smalling has done and rebuild his career away from the spotlight over in Serie A. Don't we all fancy a move to Italy? That would that would be great, wouldn't it? You know, a bit of pasta, a bit of pizza, a bit of Riviera, lovely jubbly, a bit of Milan high fashion, maybe. But Chris Smalling hitting the bar, by the way, in the extra time mm. period for Roma. I mean, he's been brilliant out there, by the way. 
He's done a fantastic well. job, that boy. Really um, well, really well. But he has been for a little while, and it's only just... I mean, when you texted me about it last night, I was like, yeah, but he's been doing that for, like, two, three years. He's been terrific out there. They absolutely love him. It's ridiculous, really, that he has been discarded the way he has been. Uh, but anyway, that's a debate for another day. Um, let's talk tactically about this final, because I was at the, uh, the, the, the previous two matches of these two teams. Uh, the first one, which I think probably... Crook has erased from his memory at the Etihad, where they were ripped apart. Um, and it should have... I mean, the, the scoreline actually looks more flattering uh, than, it, than it really was. But the second game was after, I think, Eric Ten Hag had got himself into the sort of rhythm of being the Manchester United manager and he, he knew what his team could really do. But they do have this ability to sort of run into a, a big thrashing every now and again. And I hope that it isn't like that for the, for the cup final's sake. But does he approach it in the same way, Scott, as he did that game at Old Trafford, where he purposely put Casemiro and Fred together in midfield and pushed them onto Rodri and to De Bruyne, sorry, Bernardo Silva and De Bruyne, to stop those two from being able to play, man-to-man -man marking them almost, so that they couldn't get the supply line that they require to Erling Haaland? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you, you don't know. I mean, City have got some injury issues as well with Diaz, Akanji. I, I spoke earlier about I'd, I'd play Akanji. Well, we don't know if he's going to be fit. Um, De Bruyne and Grealish as well. So it, it's going to be interesting to see the, the, the team that Pep is able to pick, not even just what he wants to pick. But in terms of, in theory, of what wanting to do, yeah, absolutely. It worked last time. I think De Bruyne is a wonderful player. And people say, oh, you can't man-mark someone because, you know, uh, he's too good. Well, I think Casemiro is good enough to, to to do a job on him. I really do. And if you take him out the game, and, and again, people say, oh, you take him out, the, even if you did take De Bruyne out the game, you've got 10 other players. Well, yes, but I'd rather take Casemiro and De Bruyne out the game and then do 10v10 than have De Bruyne in there. So if it worked last time, then then I would say go for it. But, you know, I think Wembley is a little bit different. It's, it's, it feels bigger, even if it isn't bigger. But also I, it feels like because of the occasion, it's not played with the quite the zip in the way that, uh, that the other games can be, especially if, say, for example, at the Etihad. So the answer to your question is yes, I would do it. It worked last time, providing everybody's fit. Um, the other differences, of course, is that Manchester City are playing a slightly different formation now than they were back then. They weren't at their best during that period. And John Stones moving into midfield and stepping in has completely uh, changed the dynamic of the way they play their football, whether that's been from right back or whether it's been the, 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 the quicker move into midfield from, from centre-half. Both have worked a treat for Pep Guardiola on this terrific run that his team have been on. I mean, they hadn't lost for ages until they lost to Brentford last weekend. And I don't think we could sort of take that into consideration too much, bearing in mind that the change in the team and the, and the, and the situation that they found themselves at that time. So that's a different sort of tactical thing that Ten Hag is going to have to wrestle with. I suppose the big thing is, is that both will have plans. Both will, are, are very tactical. Both are very clever. Both will have some way of defeating the other. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because of City playing in a slightly different way now and Manchester United having to come up with a different plan is quite intriguing as to how Ten Hag goes at it. But I am absolutely convinced, and don't ask me why, but I'm convinced that Fred will play from the start in this game, Crook. Well, you, you made a good case, you know, when, when you dissect the, the previous game. And Fred, two brilliant assists on the final day of the season. Listen, he is one of the big success stories under Ten Hag because you know I've not necessarily been very complimentary about him in the past. Um, but he's improved. You know, again, that Barcelona game we talk about, it was him in the second half who really took the game 
by the scruff of the neck and got United back into the tie. As I say, he's, he's added a bit more attacking threat to his game. I think we're seeing more of the Fred that they love in Brazil um, this season. So I'd, I'd be a little bit reluctant to lose him in the summer and I, I'd have no problems with him starting the FA Cup final. I'm not sure I would have said that a year ago. You need more than one plan because you've just said what happened earlier in the season. Well, you know, it was a different formation. We don't know who's going to be fit. So it's almost as if... Ten Hag especially, but Pep naturally has it. You need a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. What if? And then, you you know, you, you, you put those orders in straight away. So until the team sheet comes out, they don't know which plan they're going to use. And then even during the game, things develop. And, and that's what top managers do nowadays. It's not just one particular way of playing. I think the key thing for Manchester United is some of their best play, uh, even against Manchester City, has been on the counter-attack. And they'll have to do that this weekend. Um, and I think that's clearly something they're very comfortable with but I do worry that their speed that was there previously isn't there now if Anthony doesn't start the game they haven't got that rapid speed as many of those rapid speedsters as they've had previously and a lot rests on Rashford's shoulders if he's being asked to play as the central striker in the absence of Martial is there is there a case here Crook to start with Rashford on the left-hand side and have Veghorst at the top of the formation or is that something you might rely on later in the game? Because he's very good at pressing and causing problems and not allowing anyone to settle. Is that something you rely on later in the game when you're emergency, you're in an emergency zone and you need to try and somehow get a goal? Although he hasn't been very particularly good at that. Yeah, maybe when you need to be a bit more direct. Now, I wouldn't start very course, bless him. Um, but I think what you do need so against City is energy. That's so patronising. It's so out of order. But what you do need against City is energy and legs in midfield. And I think, again, that probably gives Fred the edge over Ericsson, which is a point, actually, that Danny Murphy made when we were in for White and Jordan right at the start of the season, that actually against the top teams, you can't really have a midfield that includes both Bruno Fernandes and Christian Ericsson. I'm going to chuck a wild card in for you because I'm not I'm not a massive fan of Jaden Sancho. He doesn't have the, the pace to really lead the counter-attack. I would consider playing Garnacho, but I think it's going to be a big player for United next season. I think I'd just chuck him in at Wembley and see how he gets on. Arguably, he's already a big player for Manchester United. He's 18 years of age and he's scored winning goals in, in huge matches. I think he's got a winning goal against West Ham in the Cup, if I remember rightly. He's got a winning goal against Fulham in the last minute of the game away at Craven Cottage earlier in the season. You know, if he hadn't have been injured over the course of that sort of March-April period, I think maybe Manchester United would have had a better run in the Europa League as well. Scott? Sam, I, I'll go one step further on that. I definitely would play Rashford up front. I definitely would play Garnacho on one side. And then it would be a case of either or, um, Anthony or, or Jadon Sancho. I, 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 you, you need pace against City. It's as simple mm. as that. And while Rashford, you know, I think he prefers to come off the left. Well, he can um, go out to the left at times and maybe switch with Garnacho every now and again. You need pace. And I'm sorry to Veghorst and... You know, he, he may be something to kind of, if you're 1-0 up with 10 minutes to go, you stick him on and you help the pressing that way. No, 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 no. Absolutely go for the athleticism. Predictions then. Scoreline prediction. Crook, say it. Go on, say it. You've been telling us all week. Come on, say it. You go first. Tell us. <laughs> OK, my, my out-of-this-world prediction, if it comes true, I can just have a big cigar and, and never have to work again, uh, is <laughs> Manchester United to win 1-0 and Valt Veghorst to score the winner. Um, but realistically, I'm not sure we'll stop City scoring. So I'm going to go for a 2-1 United victory. There you go. Oh, he changed his mind. Go on then, Scott. 
Yeah, I, I I think this actually will be tighter than what people think. Um, I think United will make it very difficult for City, but City will come out and find a way and be eventual, eventual winners. 2-1 City. Interesting, because I was uh, recording a, a preview show earlier in the week in which I was asked to give predictions and everybody who isn't a Manchester United fan obviously just goes, Manchester City, Manchester City, Manchester City. And I said, got to be brave sometimes. I'm going for Manchester United to win by two goals to one. Right, let's get stuck into some of the news surrounding the Premier League. Uh, Harry Kane looks set to stay at Spurs. Shock. But who on earth will be managing them next season? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Crookie, you reported midweek that Kane will be likely to see out his final year at Spurs next season. I've got to be honest with you, I, I think I've maintained this all along. There's, I think, very little that would suggest that it's a good idea for him to go anywhere else from a Tottenham point of view. So if you're Tottenham, right, what are you going to get? Who's going to pay £100 million plus for Harry Kane who's got a year left of his contract? Answer, not many people, OK? Is he worth £100 million to you in terms of commercial revenue, the possibility of getting into the top four? By the way, if he doesn't play for you, you've got no chance of getting anything because he is your only decent player at this moment in time who's functioning on a 100% level. So it's pretty obvious that Daniel Levy's going to try and keep him to that. And he's not really, as much as he sort of comes across as a little bit of an agitator, he's not that much of an agitator, is he? No. Um, I mean, from, from Spurs' perspective, it's a dangerous tactic. Uh, because he'll be a free agent next summer. I know they want him to sign a new contract. I haven't heard that that's anywhere near close. So we're working on the assumption that he will just let his contract run down. Then he can go anywhere, which brings Chelsea into play, actually, with Mauricio Pochettino, which would be every Tottenham fan's it nightmare. Doesn't. It, it doesn't. doesn't. It doesn't. Why does it not? It does not. Because he's not going to damage his legacy as Tottenham's all-time greatest goal scorer and go to Chelsea. He's not going to do it. It isn't going to happen. I'm sorry. It's okay for Pochettino to go to Chelsea. It's okay for Graham Potter to end up at Tottenham if that happens. It's okay for Mourinho and Conte to go between the two or whatever. But if you are the number one goal scorer in Tottenham's history, one of their own, he's not going to switch North London for Chelsea. It's not going to happen. Well, he said that with, with some certainty. But, you know, ultimately Tottenham, ultimately Tottenham can't control his future anymore. Uh, Manchester United are still keen. That uh, I expect them to still make a, a bid. I don't think it will be anywhere near 100 million, but they're working on the assumption that Daniel Levy will not 
sell to a Premier League rival. That message has been reiterated to me in quite strong terms this week. Harry Kane, I don't think at this stage, is interested in joining a Bayern Munich or a Real Madrid because he does crave that accolade as being the Premier League's leading goal scorer. So the short answer is he stays at Spurs. He probably scores 30 goals in a team that doesn't threaten to win a trophy. And for me, it's another wasted year. And I do think it shows a little bit of a lack of ambition on his part not to push for a move. Um, interesting. Um, if you uh, if you like it, apparently you should you should put a ring on it. It was good to see Daniel Levy enjoying the Beyonce concert in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium the other night. Um, uh, who who who's, whose fingers poking out to get married to Tottenham for another season? Who's going to be their manager? What do you reckon, Scott? Have you got any ideas? Just pick a name out of the hat. That seems to be what they're doing. I, I have absolutely no idea whatsoever. We are two months on and we're not only not closer to knowing who it would be, we're further away. Everybody from the real top to almost like the next layer and now they're going to, I don't know, maybe the next layer after that seems to be just distancing themselves. It's a, it is absolutely ridiculous that Tottenham Hotspur Football Club have got this stage and cannot find a manager. And it's not so much, it's not so much that they haven't got a manager. It's the fact that there's, they've got there's no idea of where they're going. They want this young up and coming a la Poch back in the day when they could have had the real thing. He wanted to go, but they didn't want him. And, and yet all the, all everyone else, like Arna Slot, among Nagelsmann, Luis Enrique, thanks, but no thanks. There's something wrong fundamentally with that club right now that these good managers don't want to come. And I worry for the manager that does come in that will end up just be seen as, a, as another Nuno. I know for a fact that, that, that people thought that we were being out of order a month ago when we were having a go at Tottenham for not having a plan. Right. People thought, oh, no, no, they've got it sorted. I know that Tottenham are briefing, suggesting that they've always had their target in mind and they know exactly who they're going after. And they're just waiting because they don't want to upset a manager's current state of employment. So suggesting that it's going to be Ange Postacoglu now. But we also know that they've gone through a load of different discussions with loads of different managers. And Postacoglu was certainly not their first choice, Crook. But is it going to be him? I mean, we can't say anything with certainty because it's Tottenham. Exactly. Uh, you took the words out of my mouth because, it, you know, it looked at one stage like it would be Arna Slot and, and then it turned out he was just using them to negotiate better terms at his current club. Um, I, I think Postacoglu, once he completes the treble at the weekend, will probably feel that he's taken Celtic as far as he can go. It's not easy to turn your back on Champions League football, but let's be honest, and I'm going to probably upset half of Glasgow here, maybe both sides of Glasgow, if you're Celtic, you know, you know you're going out of the Champions League at the group stage at best. Um, so I think it's a sacrifice that he'd be willing to make. Obviously, he's got the attachment with Scott Mann, who's coming in as Levy's right-hand man, fellow Australian. So I think that's where this interest has come from. But you're right, he, he wasn't top of their shopping list. I think there's a fine line between doing your proper diligence, which Tottenham will say they have, and actually just dragging your heels and going after unrealistic targets. And I think there's been a lot of that. It's more than two months since Antonio Conte was fired, that they should have known who they wanted as their top choice a long time before now. And, and Scott's right, it does bear hallmarks of, of Nuno. I, I think Postacoglu plays more attractive football than Nuno, so he's going to tick that box. I think he can be that project manager that they're looking for, but he's 56, 57, so he's, he's not a young up-and-coming manager, which was a, a big part of their remit at the start of the process. 
second marriages aren't good, said uh, Daniel Levy, apparently, when suggested to him that Maurizio Pochettino could be the new Tottenham manager. Um, he's got Chelsea instead, and his clear-out at Chelsea is well underway. João Felix going back to Atletico. I mean, Chelsea paying 11 million quid to get him over the line and being banned for three games after getting sent off after 60 minutes of quite an impressive debut and then hardly scoring a goal or playing much part in anything that Chelsea did or they didn't do that much really means that that's just a deal that should be written off as another mistake there's been quite a few of those Um, (laughs) who else is likely to be shown the door well Loftus-Cheek's going to AC Milan Chalabar Gallagher probably going Hudson-Odoi will definitely go just remember that about two and a half years ago Bayern Munich offered £70 million for Hudson-Odoi and Chelsea turned it down Um, and we understand that Mason Mount has agreed personal terms with Manchester United Scott so what sort of player are Manchester United getting yeah, quickie punch in the air there, and I don't blame him. Just by the way, on on on, on the others you mentioned there, I can I can understand it. Trevor Chalobah, I'll be disappointed to see him go. I think he's done well. I think he, he's gone out on loan. He's he's coming to the first team. I think he's developing as a player, so I hope he stays. But in terms of Mason Mount, look, what type of player is he getting? You're getting a player that every single manager he's played under plays him and wants him to be almost for almost first name on the team sheet. He's versatile. He can play out wide. He can play, as I think, his best position is a number eight. He can play as a number six as well. He's football intelligent. He knows where he needs to be without the ball as well as with the ball. I actually think he'd do a, a good job under Manchester City, uh, Manchester City because I think under Pep, he would be football intelligent enough to understand what he's meant to be doing. But in terms of, from Chelsea's point of view... The, the, you know, you academy poster boy almost. The last three seasons, two of the, which have been player of the season... Um, He's had injury problems this season. No one's really played well. I'm really disappointed. And I don't know whether he's being unreasonable with his demands. If he is, then fair play to the club for saying, but, look, we're but, not going to do that. What, but what's unreasonable? It... What is unreasonable to Mason Mount? Let's be completely honest. I, I don't think he's asking for 500 grand a week. No, I mean, but if he's asking for 300, then that's for me is unreasonable. If he's asking, maybe they can afford 250. Maybe there's a... You know, they've got all these players now on seven and eight year contracts, but what I've heard that the wages are actually quite low, you know, around about 100 grand a, a week. I think I think Madrid's on 97. So, but but still, for me, you don't get rid of your best players. You find a way to to keep him, even if he's just signing a shorter term contract. I don't know. You if don't get rid of your best players and you don't get rid of players that have come through your system and are the, the, the shining symbol of your academy. And that have a connection with your supporters. You don't turn around to everybody else who's come through your ranks, everyone you're trying to recruit for your academy and say, yeah, if you're the best player that we've produced in 20 years, don't worry about it. You'll get into the first team and then we'll sell you at the first sign of trouble. I'm sorry, absolutely ridiculous. This guy's been carrying an injury all season, which is why he hasn't Mm. played at his very best. He's had to have an operation at the end of the campaign in order to get himself back fit for the start of next season. He's Chelsea's two-time player of the year. Last season, he had um, the most assists in the Premier League by one player. That was Trent Alexander-Arnold. And bearing in mind how wonderful everybody tells us that Trent is going forward, that's some achievement for Mason Mount to be only two assists uh, worse off than him over the course of a campaign. So all this idea that he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that, he's not top level, he's not this, not that, rubbish. You wait, he's going to Manchester United, he'll be he'll be, he'll be a Manchester United legend and we'll be sitting there at Stamford Bridge going, for God's sakes, what on earth is going on here? <laughs> and you can clear off, by the way, 
as well, showing me pictures of Mason Mount in a Manchester United kit from Portugal. Who, who did that for you? You got a special artist that, that set it up so you could send it to me. He sent it to me four times in the last 24 hours. I told you he was leaving, so I'm comfortable with him leaving because I knew it was happening. I've got used to it. It doesn't sound like I've got used to it, but I have. <laughs> do, do, do you know what? This is part of the joy for me. Um, as, as much it's as the Mason only Mount... thing that you like about it. As much as he comes in and improves it, Manchester United's midfield, um, it's just how angry you are. And, and you're right. You know, every point you've made is absolutely spot on. It, it's quite baffling. But to go back on what Scott was saying, I think part of the issue here, and Sam will correct me if this is not the case, uh, was that the money they were talking about when Roman Abramovich was in situ was a lot higher than what he was actually offered by Todd Bowley and the new owners. And I think that has got mm. Mason Mounts back up. And he looks at someone like Raheem Sterling, who's coming in and, and he's one of the top earners at the football club. And he believes he should be there as well. So I can sympathise with him. And I think he also feels they've left it a bit too late. You know, Pochettino comes in, all of a sudden they want to have a conversation again about keeping Mason Mount. But I think the damage was done. Yeah, totally. So brilliant work again from Todd Bowley and the uh, cohort. Listen, there might be some method behind the madness. I don't know. Maybe there is a bit more restriction in terms of the way that... Um, Chelsea are, are operating. I know FFP is being kept um, a close eye on. Well, it would be because they spent 600 million quid. Sam, still, if there's FFP, then that's bad management from the owners that you've got yourself in a position where you're now having to sell one of your best players. And I understand from a, a financial point of view, someone who's come through the ranks has cost you nothing. So everything is profit that goes towards the yeah. helping of the FFP. But that's that's all... That's all books. That's all finance. That's not oh, yeah. football. You keep football your best player. Feel. You need feel. You've got to understand the feel of the club. And the feel of the club is someone like Mason Mount, for Christ's sakes. Yeah. Uh, and Kunku coming in, a lot of people maybe have forgotten about him. He's been injured for a lot of the season at Leipzig, but came back, scored goals. He's, he, he's a very good player. Whether or not he's the answer in terms of goal scoring is completely different matter but he will join Chelsea be one of the first through the door at the start of July uh, we probably should talk about other transfers that will dominate the summer the future of the West Ham skipper Declan Rice could he really be off to Germany well, there are reports this week that Declan Rice has held talks personally with Thomas Tuchel at Bayern Munich. Um, and we have to ask the question whether or not it is realistic. As far as I understand, the deal to go to Arsenal, and I mentioned it to Crook back in February, was it was pretty solid back then. Is there any way that Bayern can hijack this, Crook? No, I'm not sure they can, to be honest. Uh, I think, you know, wages-wise, he could earn more by going to Arsenal, staying in London, Um We've been pretty consistent on this podcast and on Talk Sport and on the website that Arsenal is his preferred destination. Obviously, when a, a club like Bayern come calling and a manager like Thomas Tuchel wants you, you have a conversation. But I'd be surprised if he went there at this this moment in time. I think he wants to to join one of the you know the, the big six in in the Premier League. And I think, as I say, Arsenal the most likely he was linked with United, wasn't he, a, a couple of weeks ago? And I think they've been asked to be kept informed of his situation, but they're not in a position where they can really afford to sign. Mount Rice and the number nine they want. So I, I don't see that happening. Scott, Declan Rice, how much money is he worth? I mean, as a, as a West Ham United alumni, I'm sure you'll be thinking to yourself, look, we don't want him to leave. He's got the most interceptions in the, in the Premier League. He's added goals to his game. 
towards the end of the season as well. He's shown just what a leader he is. I always thought that after the European Championships in 2021, he came out with this chest that was puffed out a little bit more. He looked like a Premier League footballer. He looked like an international footballer. I do think he's a very confidence-driven player. And if he gets the right manager, I do still think there's room for improvement there as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I've I've raved on about him. I mean, look, just, just on the Manchester United, I personally feel they, they need a Declan Rice more than the Mason Mount, as much as I love Mason Mount. I, I think it's almost that sort of holder, but also that guy is able to drive through the midfield. So it's interesting they've gone for him rather than Declan Rice. Um, in terms of the Bayern Munich thing, I'm surprised to hear Crookie say that, that Arsenal could offer more because I, I would have thought Bayern Munich could offer almost nah. as much as anybody else. No? No, no, no. Bayern have, um, Bayern have got very quite restrictive in terms of the way they they um, they operate financially. And if you look at um, their squad, they've got a certain, I think they've got 16 maybe senior, what you would call senior players. And the rest of it is made up of, of younger players because in terms of wage bill, they, there, there are quite tight restrictions on on, on FFP. And obviously, they're competing in UEFA um, um, competitions as well, so they're restricted by that. But they don't get anywhere near the TV money and the commercial... Well, commercial income is slightly different. They do get a lot of commercial income. But in terms of TV money and broadcasting revenue, it's nothing like what we get in England. But but even even take the finance away, I, I and I don't know, Declan, I said this last night on Talk Sport. You know, I, I really respect Jude Bellingham for what he's doing and, and, and going abroad. And at such a young age as well. I went abroad, but I was in my mid-20s. He went, he's gone really young. You, you and went he's, for the dosh as well, though, didn't you? <laughs> I went for the lifestyle. That's what I went for. <laughs> You'd have loved it. If I'd have known you two then, I got you over. But but no, I, I just get the feeling that Declan Rice is, um, is, a, is a man who wants to stay in England. And, and I think when you've got the likes of, whether it be United, but certainly Arsenal after you, why not? You know, Arsenal are going to be in the Champions League. They're a club on the up. Did they miss the boat? Possibly. But would he be a fantastic addition? Absolutely. Would I love to see him stay at West Ham? Yes, not going to happen. He's not just an international, he's a Champions League player. How much is he worth? Well, he's got two years left in his contract. So West Ham can still ask for pretty much what they want, but they know that if it goes into next season, then that can almost be halved. So I think they have to be realistic. I don't see him as 100 million. I think they'll probably want that. And I think the way the money's going, he, they may well get that. But, uh, you know, I don't, well, I don't really think many people are worth 100 million. But I th- that's a, probably about the figure that they will get. OK, uh, we've got the FA Cup final live on TalkSport this weekend. Stuart Pearce, Mickey Gray, Jim Proudford, Adrian Durham live from Wembley. Looking forward to that. Crookie's going to be there as well. I'll be doing the TV commentary this weekend. Looking forward to that. Um, Wednesday night, we've got West Ham against Fiorentina. So we'll be back on Monday to look back at the um, FA Cup final and also big preview of that Europa Conference League final. Then we'll be back on the Friday as well to talk about Manchester City and Inter Milan. Cheers for listening throughout the season. We'll keep going because we know that you've been brilliant to us and uh, we'll try and keep you updated with all the news that you need over the course of the summer with our special special crookie take on things, a special Minto take on things as well. Uh, This is TalkSport. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in?
Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.